Hey everybody, this is Daryl with AfterBuzz TV. I was recently looking to buy a car and thought to myself, there has to be a better way. It's such a stressful process. That's when my friend told me about a new way to buy a car. It's called TrueCar.com. At TrueCar.com, you can actually see what others pay for the car you're looking for in your area so you know when you're getting a great price. Because at TrueCar.com, you get a savings certificate, and you just take that savings certificate to a TrueCar.com certified dealer so you don't need to worry about the hassle and anxiety of the old way to buy a car. And TrueCar.com users save an average of $3,000 off the MSRP. So seriously, if you're ready to buy a car, why wouldn't you go to TrueCar.com? Negotiation-free guaranteed savings, a hassle-free experience, and a true car certified dealer that is committed to a new and better way to buy a car. Come on, save time, save money, and never overpay. Visit TrueCar.com today. You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. The AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is AfterBuzz TV's Fargo After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Fargo After Show. Welcome back, Fargo Fan Club. My name is Oriana Leo, your host on tonight's journey through Episode 7, Who Shaves the Barber for Fargo on FX. And joining me on this lovely evening, to my left is... Sarah Huggins. And to her left is... J.B. Zimmerman. Thank you so much for uh, holding down the fort last week, J.B. Totally. Happy to be here. really appreciate it. I was busy getting married. Yeah, I had a surprise wedding. Solid excuse, by the way. Surprise secret wedding last weekend. I'm exhausted, but I'm so happy to be here with you all. And we are kicking off our show with a very special guest. His name is Spencer Draver. He plays Gordo Nygaard. And we open the scene uh, with a very special kind of at-home scene that closes with some nose-picking. Spencer, are you there? Yes, hello. (laughs) Hi, Spencer. Welcome to our after show. Oh, Great. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. Um, and we love your performance, especially in tonight's episode. You are, your character of Gordo has a gun placed in his backpack, and we see the camera follow Gordo to school. What was it like filming that scene? How long did it take? Uh, the, the outside scene? Yeah. Or the, the, outside the outside scene. Where I had to pick my nose? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it actually was pretty short, um, and I it was pretty short, yeah, and I actually had to pick my nose. You yeah. did. Nailed it one take, yeah. I bet. Just... Did, did you have to practice nose picking for that scene? <laughs> no, I'm a pro. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> awesome. So, um, Spencer, can you tell us how old you are and where you live? I'm 10 years old, and I live in uh, Vancouver, B.C. Awesome. Nice. So are you up past your bedtime right now? No, uh, no, not past bed. Okay, good. All right, so we're not getting you in any trouble. Um, How did you audition for this part? Was it a live audition, or was it an audition over Skype? Uh, It was an audition uh, uh, at at a place a place called Shoreline, and uh, it was pretty. My dad, he it was like one of his favorite movies, 
and he helped me with the accent, so I went in there with the accent, and I'm pretty sure lots of the kids didn't. And uh, it was pretty weird, too, because we never got any feedback for, like, a month or two months. Wow, wow. that's a long time. And uh, then it just said, well, my mom got the email, and it was about Fargo, and she's like, oh, here we go. We didn't get it. And then, uh, yeah, so it said I got it. Wow. And how did you feel when you got that news? What was that like? Well, uh, I actually was at school, and my mom said, oh, a contract came in for Fargo. And I was like, uh, what came in for what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I actually didn't remember doing the audition. And then I did. And uh, I was I was kind of scared because so I was like, oh, I'm gonna get, am I going to have to move to Calgary? Oh. Yeah. Oh, I forget mm-hmm. they shot that in Canada. Yeah. Did you want to move to Calgary? Yeah. Uh, no, because <laughs> I, I, all my friends are here. Yeah. Aww. That makes sense. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, I know there's a lot of directors because there's so many episodes, they have to split it up. Was it um, hard working with that many different people telling you... Um, different things and how to play the role or was it pretty easy working with that team? Pardon me? Could you repeat it? Sure, sure. Spencer, I know that each um, director only directed two episodes. Since you are in most of the episodes, you must have worked with a few directors. Was that hard or did you find it easy to sort of pick up and go with the crew? Well, it was easy and uh one of the directors i really made a connection with because we talked about basketball most of the most of the time there and uh yeah i mean some directors have a different style like uh i just actually uh like one will do it in like like take take after take after take until uh it's right and then one will uh take like three takes without cutting and then a break so how do you prefer not, to work? It's it's not that hard, but uh, yeah, it can be a little challenging. Do you prefer? <laughs> how do you prefer to work? Do you prefer to do take after take without cutting, or do you like to cut between takes? Um, it depends. Uh, like if I'm tired or not, like, <laughs> or how cold it is. Absolutely, there was a mm. lot of scenes that were outside in the snow. Did you get cold? What is it like? How long do they have you outside? Uh, I think the only scene I had outside was the when I was picking the nose, nose picking <laughs> one. Thank goodness. So A everyone else gets scene, to be yeah, really obviously. cold. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not the guy running out with his just his underwear on. Yeah. Yes, I'm also glad that you're not that person. Now, you have been in some other uh, productions. I saw that you were on something on PBS. What was that called? Uh, it's called Plum Landing. It's an animated series oh, cool. that's all about uh, learning and the desert and, you know, that kind of stuff. That's really cool. Do you enjoy doing that kind of that animated voice work? Uh, yeah, it's really fun because, uh, you know, you don't have to rem- remember anything. You can just go there in, like, sweatpants and <laughs> an old shirt. You don't have to get all, uh, you don't have to. You don't have to get all dressed up, but they have, you get to read, right? You get to read the, mm-hmm. the script right there. I have a question, Spencer. How did you get started in the business? Was it encouraged by your parents, or was it just something you always wanted to do? Uh, well, um, it started from my teacher, and she said, um, she said, well, why don't you 
put him into acting or he can go to find an art school. And my mom was like, I don't know. I've seen those parents on shows. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tried it. And my first audition, I got Diary of a Wimpy Kid, too. But it was a tiny part. But at that time, it was huge. Diary yeah. of a Wimpy Kid, too. That's a really big deal. No yeah. matter how big the part is, every part is major. I mm-hmm. would say. Yeah. Definitely. And it's great to hear that you're still in school, um, doing both kind of working mm-hmm. and and doing school is a tremendous achievement. So mm-hmm. congrats on that. And any upcoming projects? I mean, we know you have a few episodes left of Fargo. Obviously, production is wrapped. Are you working on anything now, or are you just getting to be a kid in school? Um, well, the a show called The Haunting Hour, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's kind of a kids horror show, Ooh. and I it I'm a I'm actually a ghost in it. So Ooh. Nice. Where did yeah. that shoot? Uh, it was here in uh, oh, I, I think it was in Burnaby. That's great. I'm pretty sure. So, and Calgary's the only time I've ever traveled to a different province or even country to do something. Oh, wow. So it sounds like you get to stay home a lot. Yeah. That's great. Because <laughs> that you get nice. to hang out with your friends, you get to be with your parents, you get to do all the normal stuff, but you're getting to do some pretty cool stuff on TV. Yeah. So bravo to you. Do we have any uh, final questions for the man, for the young man? I was going to ask, who is your favorite person or one of your favorite actors to work with on Fargo? Is there anyone that's like a prankster on set or like any fun stories that you have to share? Um, well, all of them are great, but I'd have to say probably Martin Freeman because we were having a fight over uh, who brought the Chinook in. And uh, my mom's like, oh, yeah, every time we come, we br- we bring a Chinook. And, uh, well, a Chinook is actually a wave of heat that goes into, like, cold areas. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So you were not talking about fish. And then yeah. I was like, then Martin was like, uh, no, I bring it in. I'm special. Only me. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So some good sense of humor on set. Sounds really yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. Anything That's else awesome. we want to ask folks? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, we're going to jump into yeah. this episode, but Spencer, thank you so much thank for joining you. us and being our special guest. Do you have any, can you give us any juicy nuggets about what's coming up on upcoming episodes for your character? Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> getting, uh, when I was filming the ends of my, like the last few episodes, I'd only get my parts of the script. So, uh, this gives you know, a little idea on how top secret everything Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So, are you watching every week then to see what happens? Uh, well, I'm watching some parts. Yeah. That's not really for kids. That's true. And my mom and my dad on standby when I watch them. Absolutely. Aww. Great parents. Um, Spencer, you have a Twitter account. We'd like our fans to be able to follow you. Yeah. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. What's, what's your Twitter handle? Spencer Draver. Just Spencer Draver. Spen- That's for everything. Just Spencer Draver. Spencer Draver. And your last name is D-R-E-V-E-R, right? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So fans, please follow Spencer on Twitter and let him know what you think about his performance and what else you'd like to see him doing. And Spencer, thank you so much for joining us. It was our pleasure. Thank you you for having me on the show. Of course. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Good night. And Fargo Fan Club. I mean, what a sweetheart. (laughs) Our little Gordo, right? Absolutely adorable. Ten-year-old opening up our show as he opens up essentially the episode tonight, right? right? So we open up um, at the other Nygaard household. They're getting ready. It's breakfast time. The backpack that we know has been 
tampered uh, with. Tampered <laughs> with, right? From last time. I loved the I loved the cinematography that followed the backpack. You know, like that was where so we knew something was gonna happen, we knew it was gonna be major, following it out of the house yeah. through by the nose pick, through the school bus, all the way into the classroom with a monkey, you know, monkeying around that causes it to come flying out. What did you guys have any thoughts or reactions to that scene? Well, I just I'm happy that um, they keep that sort of theme with Fargo. I mean, mm-hmm. in the movie, it made that sort of really a big part of it, the cinematography and how they shoot certain things to give each scene a deeper meaning. And I think that rewards the viewers with multiple watching, sort of seeing how it follows the backpack, and then you can kind of pick up new things each time. Very good. I like that. Yeah. I, I just love that we had the... We had a few moments like that we'll get to later, but when we have the mass carnage that we only got to hear and not see right. from Lauren, right. really had that same feel to it, and Goodness. I loved that. I yeah. loved that because it, it really allowed, it allows your imagination to go somewhere instead of it just showing you everything. Right. Right? It's There's something far more artistic about it. Definitely. I didn't take a look at who was directing this episode. Did either of you? Uh, I believe it's Scott Winant. This is the first episode this season that we've seen from him. Thank you so much, yeah. Jamie. Look hey. at you, bringing yeah. something major to, to the show. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the next scene, we see Chief Oswald with a warrant at Chaz Nygaard's house. You know, Kitty right. is there. Um, and it's very melodramatic. It's very, like, it's kind of dark. It's quiet. We've got this music, this ominous music. And we see that Chaz is at work living, like, the last few moments of his life his untampered with life, (laughs) having the store in his office of, oh, I'll call my wife back later. I'll call her back later. And he picks up the phone and you can just see his into everything's crumbling. And that Gordo has been arrested. Right. I was like, wait a second. Is that allowed? Is that like... In nowadays, with all the violence that happens, I really think that if you do pick a firearm to school, you get arrested even if you're like five years old. Definitely, and in Gordo's case, I know he's got some learning disabilities, the character. Yes. Um, you know, obviously he has that jar in his Yes, closet. he has the, right. the um, autism, according to his parents. Exactly. So I don't know how that would play out in a normal sort of court of law situation, but right. definitely, I mean, there's so many instances in our world um, where this is coming up, this gun problem. Absolutely. Just does not cease. Yeah. Um, I was in Santa Barbara this weekend, and oh my goodness, this killing happened. I think on our wedding day or the day before. No, yeah, and I love that, right? Yeah, and I love It's really tremendously sad. And um, but one of the things that we can see that is a theme, you know, I really appreciated this episode because I felt sensitive to what just happened. That um, they didn't show all of the gun violence, right? I appreciated I that, that very much. That there was a little bit of of of, of imagination required. Right. That instead of showing the carnage, you know, that you could you could imagine what was going on. Still really horrible. Right. But not having to you show it You heard how many shots were fired. Because and... that stuff is actually happening in real life. Right. And I know that for young people, I'm really glad that Spencer doesn't get to watch this. Right. You know, right. what great parents yeah. to really be supervising. And I appreciate the makers of Fargo of being... Sensitive um, to not it. just sensitive, but having the artistic sense that you yeah. don't have to show everything. No. Fans, what do you think? Let us know on YouTube, on Twitter. You know, you have our handles. But I'm really interested to what you on what your thoughts are about, you know, the gun violence that is on TV every day, on what you see on your favorite shows. You know, where is that line? I just really appreciated it. Yeah, I did too. I don't think anything was missing because they did that, you know? Right. I mean, I, we, we got it. We got what happened. We got the 
magnitude of it as well. Right. You know. But Lester putting the gun in his own nephew's backpack. What kind of human being does that? Well, we know that Lester is not completely with it. Right. Well, he (laughs) seems with it now. He seems with the... He's smarter. He's... He's made such a change, hasn't he, in this episode? Like, literally, his face, he's got the confidence. Right. And it makes me think of Lorne and the way he talks about his worldview and how the animal kingdom. I feel like like Lester has just stepped into a new, the animal kingdom, like, kind of kill or be killed. He's now defending himself. It's twisted. It's wrong. Right. But he wasn't going to go down. I don't know. It's disturbing, but I feel like... No, I agree. I mean, it's an interesting dynamic of it being completely wrong and his character being, like, utterly immoral. But at the same time, I'm there's a part of me that sort of roots yes, for Lester yeah. just because he was such a bumbling fool yes. before. Because he was a, such a loser, and now he's becoming a winner, even though it's, you know, morally right. reprehensible. Well, he's trying to take control of his life for once, and I think that is something it. people can recognize as a positive amidst all the negative wrongdoings that he's you uh, got supportive. it. And he's, like, super unpredictable now, you know? You he's just don't cannon. know what he's going to do. We don't yeah. know what's going to... And if it's yeah, made it very exciting. Yeah, <laughs> it has. Sometimes he's confident, sometimes he's not, you know? He makes stupid decisions, he makes smart ones. So it's- we know that he... I mean, he killed his wife, Pearl, after he just... He, he snapped. He snapped after being right. abused <laughs> for so long, right? I mean, maybe he was the world's worst husband, but when you verbally abuse someone and emotionally abuse someone, they're going to snap at some point, and he did... But his brother did the same thing to him, right? It was just, that was the straw that broke the camel's back in the last episode. Right. Visiting him in the hospital um, and telling him, essentially, like you discussed in the last show, that practically saying, I never loved you or I never wanted you. You're garbage to me, kind of, is the feeling of it. Yeah. Which is just too much to handle for this guy. He's not... He's not made for that kind of trauma. (laughs) No. But I'm just thinking of this as Chief Oswald opens the gun safe in Chaz's garage and pulls out the, is it the piglet? Is that what he called the um, machine gun? He called it something. I want to say it was the piglet. With Anne the hammer and Pearl's panties. Undies. I don't like those photos. And her erotica photos. Yes. Yes. What did I write down? Sexy Pearl pics. Oh my gosh. Which... We're not. They were not that sexy. No, <laughs> they were interesting, <laughs> to say the least. But we see that, and what I loved was that again the cinematography and the use of sound because you can see what happens to Chaz. The sound goes out. Yeah, and that I feel like is really commonplace when something really horrible ha- happens to you and jarring. You're not I, remembering. No, the everything goes out, and it's yeah. like tunnel vision and black and whatever. I felt like that was. Very well demonstrated. Yeah. Definitely. I, I mean, even his wife, like, hawked a loogie on his forehead, and it was still just that shock. Where right. It wasn't even enough to, to get him to snap out of it. And they were, like, holding her back, the officers. I thought that was a really powerful scene. It was and, a powerful yeah. scene to have the that buzz of the of the sa- of no sound, almost. Right. And she's right. screaming with nothing coming out, and like you said, the spit's hitting his face, and you can just <laughs> see on his, he's trying to register what is going on. Yeah. Right. He's like, how is this happening to me? And... Then we see um, our Chief Oswald at, back at the um, police station with Lester, and I was really, I was really touched at how upset the chief was. He was saying that he looked up the history of their town to find out what like the biggest losses of life had been before. Remember, he was saying it's like India or Africa, where all these people die at once, and it's some horrible um, situation that he can't get his his head around, but that. 
you know, 20 or 30 years ago, 16 people died from some horrible cause and this and that. And that he says, you know, three people were murdered in two days. And there's a child that's been arrested for bringing a gun to school. This is flabbergasting him. He's like, you can see on his face, he's devastated. But there's like an innocence that's been broken for him. Yeah. Particularly. Definitely. I mean, that scene was kind of a crazy scene in itself, the interrogation. I mean, it seemed so much that he wanted to believe everything that Lester was saying. Almost like a little kid was listening to his older brother or dad or something tell something he almost knew was going to be a lie, but still could not. Like, there was nothing that Lester could say that he wouldn't believe. He was like... Just and then what? A hundred percent. And of course, he's breaking police protocol. You right. don't tell the suspect right. what happened. He literally told him, you know, that he was having an affair. Right? Yes. Right. I mean, Lester just all he had to do was agree. Right. Essentially, he, you know, Chief Oswald leads him down the path of what he wants to believe happened, and Lester does a great job, I think, of corroborating this quote unquote story. And that he wanted to tell the truth, but he was afraid. All things that Chief Oswald told him he was feeling himself. Right. Right? All completely fabricated by the chief of police. I was actually surprised, though, that when Chaz got arrested, that he wasn't... He didn't seem, like, that surprised by it. He wasn't, like, protesting as much as, like, I would be if I was being taken in for something completely ludicrous, you know? And we didn't see that until he's in the jail cell. Right. Right? When he's, like, screaming bloody murder, and he's really trying to rationalize, you know, and and defend himself. I can't imagine what it would feel like for something like that. Right. I mean, maybe in later episodes we'll see a little bit more of the backlash and the interaction between them. Because it seemed like in the preview uh, they'll both be in the same jail. Yeah. Or there's an interaction. But, yeah, I think like Oriana was just saying, sort of a a moment where it was like a stun grenade went off. Right. And he didn't even know how to react. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. And I think he probably... He, I'm sure if he could have gone back in time, he would have reacted a little differently, right. but we can't control these That's things, true. you know? And yeah. I think that was very well illustrated by the sa- lack of sound right. and all of yeah. that, that he was just completely shell-shocked yeah. by what happened. Um, but what I thought was so interesting was that it seemed like during this interrogation that Lester was um, trying not to smile. Did you guys notice that? Like, he kept clearing his throat. Right, because he, like, realized he was about to get off. Yeah. Yeah. But he, like... I feel like he had this little sense of, like you were saying, accomplishment before it was even over. Like he knew. Right. He was being led down a path to his innocence by the chief of police and he he started to realize what was happening. Right. Getting maybe drunk on his power, perhaps. Definitely. I mean, it seemed like throughout the episode arc, he sort of got more confidence and took more liberties as it went on. I mean, obviously at the end, he takes the biggest one. And I couldn't believe, so when he's leaving and he, you know, you can see Chaz is in the jail cell screaming bloody murder and Lester doesn't, he doesn't look back. He no. smiles. Right. And then that's the intro to the show, yeah. to this episode right there. And it just made me think, oh my God, like vent, revenge yeah. on, on Lester's behalf. Like he's yeah. turned into a different man. Is this, has this been Lauren's master plan all along? Like, I don't know what Lauren's master plan is, but right. this would be it if there was one. Would be turning someone who is pathetic into someone who's in control of his own destiny, but also doesn't care what sort of damage he does. 
That makes me kind of want to like dig into Lauren's backstory and see if he was like a spin off character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wouldn't that be great if we had a Lauren Malvo spin off? Oh my god, that would well, be Billy awesome. Bob is is the show for me, so right. I think it's almost a spin off. Um, it, Already, yeah. I agree. Every every scene with Billy Bob, it, ca- it just captivates me. Yeah, yeah, he's I, perfectly. Jealous. I wish we could have more time with him, but then again, it would be like the Billy Bob show. Right, it wouldn't be a full Fargo. Exactly. I think he definitely wants um, to teach Lester the ways of, of how you should live, but not necessarily um, enough to bring him on as an apprentice. Like, right. right. He doesn't trust yeah. anybody. Don't think he's smart enough. Yeah. But I think he'd be very proud. Yeah. Definitely. Right? Definitely. He'd be very proud to know, see what what has become of, of oh, Lester. Right. I mean, he told him in their, uh, I think it was their first meeting, mm-hmm. you know, you, you think there are rules in, in our life, and there aren't. And, and there's so many things... In later episodes, he shows sort of a more animal instinct right. of of how to go about living life instead of by these like arbitrary laws and, and things. This is a little bit off the topic, but from a few episodes ago, when Lauren presented the riddle to Gus Grimley of right. why does the human eye see more shades of green than any other color, right. I have quoted that like ten times really? since that episode. Really? I've been I've been telling people that just because I enjoy fun facts. <laughs> right. But also I have been noticing how many shades of green I see. <laughs> really? I'm not joking. I've been going outside and like looking around and realizing how true that statement is and how true that is to the psyche of someone like that, that you only see, you see the things that help you survive. Right. Right. And I, that, that episode really got to me, honestly. <laughs> even the man that gave everything away, that parable. Yeah. I even use that. I, I spoke, <laughs> use that to with a couple of friends. I'm like making all kinds of Fargo references. Yeah. I don't know if Educational anyone else. TV, I don't know, know if anyone else is doing the this. The more you but know, I everyone, like it. Yes, yeah. the more you know. Like, brought really to you by so Fargo smart. on FX. Um, but we do have a parable in the title of this show that we'll get to we at do. the end, and we'll have to discuss what we think that means or what the implications okay. are. Um, but our our next scene is Molly in the blizzard. She's having kind of a flashback. It's her perspective. Her perspective of what happened. Yeah. And she sees Lauren with the shot, with the machine gun. Um, and she gets shot and she awakens in the hospital with Greta and Gus. And I mean, what a guy. I know. I was glad she was alive. I really thought that that was the end for her. Yeah. I did. I thought it was over. I didn't, but didn't? at the same time, I was not here and part of the group. Right. I just I thought wasn't there's no way that the story could be over. Right. Right. That's true. Right. That would be really sad if they didn't get to, like, there needs have to a be some of, kind of, yeah, like, definitely. I mean, they made it seem like it was completely curtains for sure. Molly, but yeah. um, given that it was only episode six, I thought. You know, I don't know if Gus can carry us to ten. Right. Right. Yeah. That's just from true. a storytelling perspective, right. she's so integral to this story. Yeah. We really can't do anything without her. And then I was thinking, well, even if she's dead, there must be flashbacks. Right. Or right. something where she, her character is there to Lives tell the on. story. Yeah. Plus, I mean, she's the main detective, if there is one, in the show. <laughs> right. I mean, she's that's the true. only one that's sort she's of on the, the right track. the only one that even cares about the truth. Anything, yeah. I mean, we have our, you know, bumbling uh, Chief Oswald just is so emotionally <laughs> impacted by everything. Yeah. He can't see. He anything. is completely blown away by the mayhem of this. He is. Just right. cannot, cannot he, even he can't too much grab a, a hold of anything. No, he can't see anything for what it really is. So Gus admits that he shot her and that he'll get her a new spleen if he has to. Which <laughs> a is tall so sweet. order, but yeah. But I thought that was for him who he who doesn't seem to have been able to accomplish a lot so far. I think that's kind of a big deal. Right. To be able to admit to someone's face 
that you, I mean, he already had to admit that he let Lauren go. He, you know, he had to admit that to his own. I mean, this guy eats a lot of crow. Right. I don't know. Have you guys ever had that situation where like you just had to eat it multiple times? In front of people, like go to people, go to your work. I made a huge mistake. Go to someone you love. I made a huge mistake over and over. I mean, I don't think I have this guy. I feel I like absolutely you have. I mean, really? my my job sort of depends on on being able That's to take true. the blame for when things ra- happen. I mean. Not all the time will something go wrong that's within your control. Sure. But sometimes you're still, um, you know, you have to take responsibility for when when things do get out of hand. Find a solution. So I've absolutely done that. Absolutely. It's not fun. It's not fun at all, (laughs) right? And sometimes you know that it's, if you're smart, you know, business person, I see everything as a business challenge. But if you're a smart business person, you know, sometimes taking it on the chin or apologizing for something, even if you didn't do it, might be strategically the better choice yeah even if it hurts your ego and i don't think that gus is that sophisticated but he cares enough about the case and he cares enough about molly right that it makes this the the choice he has to make and his daughter right he's like trying to set a good example for her and he has such a heavy conscience like this was the only choice for him to make but i just feel really bad for him as a character like lester it was a loser like a like like a loser that couldn't take initiative to do anything, but Gus is a different kind of loser in the sense that he yeah. just keeps that's a lot of hard knocks. <laughs> yeah. He's really trying. Yeah. I want him he to win really on some level. And Lester's just getting lucky, I think, with like a few things. <laughs> for the time being. Yeah, I feel for like the, time being. the tables are gonna turn. Of course. But he brings Molly flowers. He does. Adorable. And you know, he sees this whole and I'm not sure that I got everything from the chart she had on the window. Like I wish, I mean, first of all, where's the cell phone to take a picture? Where's the camera to take a picture of the chart? She just writes it all up and then leaves. <laughs> like, I'd want to take a picture of it. Right. Well, that well, yeah, hard this work. is uh, 2006, right? Yeah. So are there camera phones? There have to be. Yeah. Well, some. I, I mean, okay. I feel like so there are a lot in, less. In Bemidji maybe and not if they in, don't. But right. a camera? Anything. A sketch. He should have <laughs> sketched it. He a sketch have. of the window just because I felt like, oh, someone's going to clean that and that's all right. hard work. I don't done know. done. Um, but he seems really sad when she leaves and there's like no, what was he waiting for? You know what I mean? Dad, dad comes and they have another, they have a really nice moment between the two of them too, where he tells, dad tells Molly he's proud of her for the first time because he's been going on and on about how she should quit the police and that she should get married and she should essentially be someone else. And I think we've all had that too of like, just support me. Please just be happy for me doing what I'm doing. Even if you don't love it, even if it's not your favorite thing. And he's just thankful that she's alive as well. And and he found out that the guy had a machine gun. Yeah. And that she, you know, was, like, defending herself. Right. And he's really proud of her. And that was really sweet. And I think important for her. But something didn't happen with Gus. Like, I don't know what he was expecting. Right. Like He just came to tell her, gonna, like, I shot you. <laughs> right. Here's some flowers. Now can we go on another date? Oopsies. Right. I don't know. Yeah. What did you guys... Where is that coming from, do you think? Like, his sadness when she leaves. Um, I think he just wants to do more. I mean, he took responsibility in that he owned up for it. And so that was good, obviously. When you own up for something, you take most of the blame away. Right. And so he wants to, obviously, figure out how to fix it. Spleen, first on the list. <laughs> um, but Super I think practical. now he, he feels responsible for helping falls, follow through with, with everything in the case. Right. And... Obviously, Molly is not going to let anything drop. Um, so I think, and she even says to, to him, "Keep your chin up." Right, we're winning. Right, and it's just really sweet because she's being wheeled away in a wheelchair, telling him to cheer up, <laughs> right. to keep his chin up. She's the one that's been in the hospital. 
but it just definitely shows their relationship and that he she's the stronger one obviously I think, I think too like she has other things on her mind as well like she didn't know who she had shot and mm-hmm. you know that's kind of a big deal mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I just don't think I, I think yeah like she was grateful to be alive she's grateful that he told her that that he was the one who shot her but like she's got other things she does yeah she's like, got a lot worry going about. on yeah um so very briefly, Lester goes home and we see that he finally he, he has this is a whole new man, right? <laughs> he he walks in, he's Make got moves. he's got a different like air about him. He looks at the at the blood and just like walks around it, pulls out the phone book and just calls the cleaning service. Right. Which we this is episode 7. Right. <laughs> that mess has been there for a long time. 7 episodes. Yeah, I mean yeah. even if it's only been a week in the show. Right. Still, Still too long. Pretty disgusting. Um, but what happens? He gets hung up on? Yeah, I think he gets to the part where there's blood everywhere, and then that's where they... But he says, you guys do crime, crime scenes, right? Does the person on the other, other end say yes? Well, because there he was like, no, there's not really a lot of broken glass, and he's like... saying is break-in. Right, exactly, and I think because the town is so small, oh. they're not used to any crime of right. that magnitude Thank at you all. for clarifying. I'm thinking crime scene is a crime scene. No. Right. The Bemidji <laughs> crime scene is like a break-in. Right, it's like kids throwing rocks at windows. <laughs> right. Or right. So he might have a harder time getting this cleaned up than yeah. he thought. Exactly. However, he did say in the beginning episodes that they're, they had a service, some kind of like hazmat type service, right. that they left him the number. He just hasn't called it. right. We'll see how he deals with that. Um, and then we, we jump over to water aerobics in Reno, Nevada. We know this has yes. to be important if we're going to close up on this guy's face. Right. Which I'm thinking, who the hell is this? We've seen him before. He walks into Rundle Real Estate, and there waits for him is our favorite Lauren Melvo in front of all those phones that talks about how there isn't a pin in Georgia, and we get to know a little bit too much about this guy and his what he doesn't like about Georgia and his ex-wife. Right. <laughs> but... Um, there, Lauren is there to find out why he has guys tailing him, why they try to take him out, and who did this. Right. Right? And he this is like the master of revenge. I mean, what, I don't know what this guy's name is, but he pretty much just says, it's not my business to get involved in squabbles that are personal. And if somebody calls me about something, it's, you know, it, we always have a solution, essentially. Nobody calls about asking for you. Right. Do you believe him what, what was your take on that scene um i don't know i got kind of a mixed feeling no, yeah. from that yeah. um it seemed like on one hand he had to stay professional as possible when dealing with that kind of sketchy business model um but on the other i mean it seemed weird that he wouldn't sort of if things went astray like why wouldn't you try to fix it right away i mean there are, are only so many options in that I thought it was interesting that he walks in and says, are you going to let me sit down or are you going to kill me standing up? Right. When he could have just walked in and closed the door and ran away. <laughs> like, right, just, I mean, oh, I guess he with, some, with someone like Lauren, and he knows Lauren because he's hired him, he knows it's inevitable. Like, right. if, if he wants to kill you, he's going to kill you. Right. So don't There's really run. nothing There's no do. point. <laughs> but that was really interesting that he just, he knew exactly what was going to happen. And Lauren gave him the, the two options. Ambulance, phone, or coroner phone, right? Which one am I going to choose? We still don't know right. exactly what happened, but he gives him the information? I mean, is that what, ha- how does, how does 
He definitely gave him the information because afterwards we saw that he was, yes. went to the And there's no other way that that would have happened. Right. So this guy was implicated in some way. You know, Lauren doesn't, he doesn't tend to find these people and hurt them for no reason. Right. There's some reason. This doesn't mean it's a good reason. Right. But there's some connection there. So he clearly knew something. Yeah. At least who, when they said Fargo sent them. Mr. Yeah. Numbers and Mr. Wrench, if they said that Fargo sent them, he knew that this would be that the guy would know. Yeah. And apparently he did. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that, I mean, it's possible that Lauren killed him and found out some other way. But I do think that um, the phone guy maybe didn't know, didn't plan for that them to come get uh, Lauren, but knew the other company or something. Um, I mean, obviously the world is, is pretty small in that sort of business. Yeah, right. I, I feel like he could, through a few references, figure out um, what had happened. So before we get to um, the carnage that we just hear and we don't see, we see Molly visiting Mr. Wrench right. in the hospital. That was her victim. That was her victim. She hadn't really known until right. then who it was. Um, I thought it was really interesting that... When she says, she says, you know, what's the point to him? She's trying to have this conversation. And she goes, what's the point? You know, your friend's dead. You're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. And for what? And he leaves the room in that sense of turns his head so that he doesn't have to look at her, talk right. to her, be part, you know, because he can't go anywhere, clearly. Right. right. But what is the point? And I, that sort of got my, me thinking of, like, what is the point? That's sort of the, f- the whole idea of Fargo, the film. Right, the movie, yeah. Right, exactly. is what's the, like, why would you go do this, create this horrible situation for absolutely nothing? Right. Right, all this pain and carnage for nothing. Right. And it continues, the cycle of violence. And here he is, like, and she's absolutely right. Well, yeah, I think the whole show kind of shows that how things are so mundane and people are so so much so out for just the very short term like they see one move ahead and that is it like right. no consequences of it and that's how they get into tr- to trouble and it just downward spirals into just a catastrophe but i think it's so reflective of reality right of just how, oh, how yeah, incredibly sure. short-sighted people can be and they'll do the stupidest things for something that in the long run is not important no like everything that's going on in the show. <laughs> so we show they show us Chaz in jail and that he's transferred to county and the looks on everyone's right. faces. And you said you had a good comment. You were like, he's de- he's a pretty boy and he's not going to last He's not going to make it in county. Yeah. No, a pretty boy like him isn't going to make it in county. And not just that, I also got the idea of, you know, in our society today, when someone is accused of something, it ruins their life, whether they're guilty or yeah, not. that's true. Um, and... It gave me that feeling where he's being walked and every deputy is looking and right. shaking their heads. You disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're all making these judgment calls. Lester's winning because yeah. of that, you know, because he doesn't have to be on the receiving end of it. No matter right. what happens, it's already ruining his brother's life. Right. Already no, from this very They're moment. no longer looking at him in any way. But guilty. Yeah, but guilty. Period. Right. And it's sad to see because that does have, I mean, it's obviously it very rare, happen. but you do hear these stories about people getting out like 15, 20 years afterwards. Yeah. Um, and they were wrongly accused. And it's like, how can you ruin someone's life like that? And so it's Just to save their own. Yeah. But then, um, and on top of it, the shoddy police work. That happens too. A you lot. You know what I mean? I mean, just here in LA County, there's some really <laughs> bad stuff going on. Of, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Man? It's just, it's un- it's unbelievable. But I just think this is definitely art imitating life in some way. Right. Um, 
That's why they call it a dark comedy. Yeah. Um, and then we have the insurance office where Lester goes back. And I couldn't believe the first thing he goes is, well, I'm the victim here. Yeah. That's the first thing he says. <laughs> and he says it was like he's almost happy about it. Like, yeah. I'm the victim here. He's like, I'm ready to go back to work. Okay. Uh, he's definitely flipped the script in his own head. Yeah. He's listening to something like a different track <laughs> in his own mind, right? Instead of him being the victim and being, you know, shit on all the time, frankly. He's been listening to some self-help tapes. He's been listening yeah. to those Lauren Melvo tapes <laughs> yeah. that he yeah. records and yeah. listens to over and over. Um, and he's ready to start fresh. So he offers to go see Mrs. Hess. Right. Who, I mean, we already know that, I mean, do we know his boss's name? Whose boss? Um, Mr. Hess? Lester's. Oh no! Must yeah, but he know. says he says that her claim, Mrs. Hess's claim, got denied because he, Mr. Hess, stopped paying his premiums. Right. So, and I thought that was interesting. Like, why did they let that happen? Like, I wonder what the right. story is behind right. I th- that. I mean, just a character trait of of Sam right. um, makes him seem sort of a slimy guy. <laughs> yeah. He married a stripper, obviously, right. so, mm-hmm. who he was cheating on. So, I think it all just kind of adds up to the kind of person he was. Absolutely. Yeah. But, like, who was handling the account? Like, I don't know. Right. Because he was saying, oh, that's too bad for us because that was a really good account. And then I thought, hmm, whose job was that? Like, right. was that Lester's job? I don't know. Right. I don't know. But he wasn't, hasn't been very good at it, He decides it to break the news via house call. <laughs> yeah, break the, the news via house call. I mean, I think he wanted to, he's hoping to, well, he got what he was hoping for, obviously. <laughs> a little bit traumatizing. Um, and, again, so, so we, we, are brought to this building. It looks like kind of like a federal building, but I don't know what it was. Me neither. And yeah. we see our favorites, Key and Peel from Comedy oh Central. That was so cool. Fantastic. Great cameo. Great cameo. Great. And we'll see if we're going to, you know, I don't know if we'll I see, feel them like again. We might see them we again. We must. So if they're, first of all, they're in their uh, car. They're and they're, FBI agents. They're FBI agents, and they're obviously spying on who's inside. Right. That's what I'm assuming. Right. The FBI stakeout, of course. The FBI stakeout in which they're debating the uh, nature of fast food. Right. Right? Is one. Classic Key and Peel. Classic Key and Peel. Classic agent talk, I imagine. Yeah. Are you really going to eat that? Yes. Get away from me. Um, but like how we were talking about before, the soundtrack of the carnage. And again, just how good Lorne is at what he does. That he can hide the machine gun in his jacket. <laughs> Just waltz in there. Right in front of the agents that they don't even notice anything's going on until a body flies out of the window. Right. Whoops. Oopsies. Um, there was a lot of gunshots, too. A like, lot of gunshots. Do we think this is realistic? That they're in a car across the street from a building that he's unloaded, like, three magazines well, and they I th- haven't noticed. I think it's just that short-sightedness in a different way. I mean, we have sort of the metaphysical one with everybody and their choices, but we also have a literal one. He literally walks right in front of the FBI's car right. and into the building that they're supposed to be staking out. So it's sort of everything around is just not, like, these people have no clue. And not only that, but also you don't tend to see, you don't tend to see things that you're not looking for. Right. And Lauren knows that so well. Yeah. And hence the green and the predators. Right. Right? That that's how he gets, he does everything in plain sight, and that's how he gets away with it. It's so disturbing. But again, the cinematography and the choice of not showing... That. Even one person, except for the Just guy the, that fell out of they, the window. When he came out the window, and then I think he showed one shot being fired off of someone else. I thought that was plenty and really efficacious. Yeah. And hearing people screaming and, oh, no. And he gets the answers out of everyone, too. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. Where's the head guy, third the floor? The elevator code. What's the yeah. elevator code? <laughs> yeah. Like, he, these people are dying. All right. And he's getting information from them. 
It's just over the top. To me. Yeah. Like why? I don't know. But I'm really curious what what that was about. Like who those people were and absolutely. I would have loved and that's part of the beauty of it. I would have loved to see the inside of that place. Me too. Right. And maybe we will we next episode. Maybe. That would be amazing. Well, my guess is it that they are the other hitman group or or maybe from last episode the sort of mafia Don mm-hmm. people that were working with Sam Hess, that operation. Right. It sort of seemed like a factory setting. If the FBI was there, maybe they were sort of staking out the like they're, they're, underground Yeah, they're operations. definitely staking out whatever kind of, you know, weird shit they have going on over there. You know right. what I mean? They've got they're they're definitely deep in a lot of criminal activity. And Fargo happened a long time ago, right? And so there's a lot of stuff going on right. that is probably being investigated finally gotten up the rungs of the ladder uh, for people to take some notice. But clearly, this ladder isn't that efficacious. Um, so we see that Lauren just walks right out. Right. We have the FBI yeah. agents identifying <laughs> no themselves, fighting over who's going to talk, clearing the scene. Calling for backup. Calling for backup. And they have, but they're like, they know, they have nothing. They have a body. That's all they have. And Lauren walks right out. I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lauren, just like a boss. Just yeah. like a boss. Yeah. He has no fear. No. He, is no, he has nothing. I don't think he has any feeling except like for he, his joy at, at people's suffering. I feel like he's equipped, though, to get out of any situation. Like, he knows. He's, like, confident in that, like, hey, if he gets stopped or something, like, he's going to have a way out. Well, and just, right. like, the fact that he could get a dying man to give him the code to go. Right. Like, it's just he clearly has skills that give him that confidence. Right. Yeah. Well, he's just aware of where he is. He's sort of at the top of the food chain, mm-hmm. and he knows that. So he knows whatever he's going to do is going to work out. And he's Isn't sort that of amazing. It's that? yeah. It's like he's seen what's behind the curtain and knows how it works. So he's ahead of the game in a lot of ways. So disturbing. So <laughs> Lauren's protege Lester goes over to Mrs. Hess's uh, and <laughs> essentially pays her a house call. Makes her think that there's a chance that he can get her claim filled or filed. Right. If. <laughs> If she greases the right palms, <laughs> meaning his. <laughs> gross. But it was really gross. I, I wasn't this is a huge departure for him. Right. Yes, definitely. He says he's going over there because he's going to, you know, console her and give her to deliver the bad news. But really, he's just manipulating her. Right. To get what he wants. Definitely. I, I was surprised to see how much swagger the new yeah. Lester <laughs> brought in the door. But um, again, I mean, he had a, clearly an agenda. Which he accomplished. Right. Um, but, ugh, um, that sex scene, just gross. Gross. Uh, and then watching, the, looking at the picture of Sam Hess Ew, and having that. That's the creepy part. That's the really gross part. Yeah. Ugh. Um, and where, like, what is that doing for him? Like, does he feel responsible for it now? Even what if though. he impregnates her? I was thinking I didn't the same even thing. Think I was that. thinking that. I was like, oh no, this could definitely go really bad. <laughs> oh my god. But, He's looking at this picture of the two of them, and it's like he's winning, obviously. Right. But it's just so funny because a few episodes ago, you know, he didn't want anything. To, he had no ill wishes for Sam Hess. He wouldn't even take responsibility for an ill will against him right. for the man that made his life miserable. And here he is banging his wife <laughs> and is having flashbacks of the fist in his face. Yeah. And he's, like, getting that he's ultimate like, yeah. revenge. Yeah. yeah. He's really screwing over yeah. <laughs> Sam Hess. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, I can't believe this amazing shift. His brother 
yeah. Hess and the wife, like, all in a day? A Busy. Yeah, it's <laughs> night and day. I mean, he took a complete 180. In the beginning, they said, um, Bob Odenkirk's character said that, you know, he remembers Lester being that nice boyfriend guy saying, like, I'm going to marry that girl. Right. And now he's committing adultery, <laughs> like, right. after... A murder, it's kind of... After setting up his brother. I mean, it's pretty amazing, uh, this web that Lauren has woven for him. Um, So after Mrs. Hess, we see that Molly and Dad are driving over to the Bemidji PD. She wants to go and talk about the case, at least for a minute before she goes home, and finds that there's no one there. They're all out celebrating that the case is closed and that Chaz Nygaard is the guy. And you could just see Molly, I don't know what would you call city. that, like a panic attack meltdown. Yeah. I mean, she can tell she, it's occurring to her that she's perhaps been had or been played or that right. Lester is winning this this game, this round. Yeah. I didn't quite know what to make of it. I mean, her dad is looking at her and she's standing there. And she's there just the like snow. standing there. Yeah. It was kind of like the same shell shock right. that we saw. Um, Chaz in earlier. Uh, yeah, I was definitely feeling the same sort of emotions watching that scene. I mean, it's sort of, there's a lot going on. Maybe she's feeling a little bit like she got played, like you said. You know, she also could feel like she missed something or she had it all wrong. I mean, there's a lot of, of negative thoughts that it's probably just... That just shock. Yeah. And that, you know, Alison Tolman, what a great actress. And everyone, yeah. I feel like the performances in this episode were really top-notch. Yeah. We're really getting somewhere. Right. And I'm really excited. And that yeah. um, that really ended our episode. We did see scenes from the next. Um, but before ish. we... Yeah, ish, as F- they always does, do. Yeah. <laughs> before we get into any um, predictions, I did want to talk about uh, the title of oh, our right. show. Yes. That's all I have for news and gossip, unless you guys That's have fine. anything. I don't. After Buzz TV News. So the the title of this episode is called Who Shaves the Barber? And what that refers to is the barber paradox in which, and this is from Wikipedia, and my phone is about to die, but I will read it to you. The barber paradox is a puzzle derived from Russell's paradox. It was used by Bertrand Russell himself as an illustration of this paradox. And it's literally just a logical puzzle. But it starts this way. Suppose there is a town with just one barber who is male. In this town, every man keeps himself clean shaven, and he does so by exactly one of two things, shaving himself or going to the barber. Another way to state this is that the barber is a man in town who shaves all those and only those men in town who do not shave themselves. It's really just like a a mind game. Um, But the idea is the barber obviously shaves himself. But the logical question is, who does the barber go to? Everyone goes, the barber only shaves those men who don't shave themselves. So how could he be shaving himself? It's a logical puzzle that has really no answer. What does this have to do with the episode? That was, you know, I was reading this going, okay, so this is that circle of, you know, um, there, there is no answer or the answer maybe is really obvious but it doesn't seem like it would make sense. And I think that that may be what's happening with Chief Oswald, you know, is that the answer is right in front of him and Molly sees it the whole time, but it just doesn't seem possible. Yeah. That's all I can come up with. Fans, please. Yeah, please. I would like weigh to Weigh in on this because, on I mean, I just did a very, this tiny search and I took logic in college, but it's been a very long time <laughs> uh, since I've really noodled out some major logic problems. <laughs> so please, um, on our YouTube or tweet us, let us know what you think about the yeah. correlation between this particular episode and um, 
and the 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 barber and who he shaves. <laughs> I'm excited to um, see the responses. Yeah, me too. So moving on, let's do some predictions. Definitely. And now you're after Buzz TV predictions. JB, yeah. I'm going to start with you. I think we're going to see a lot more of Molly trying to f- pick up the pieces. Okay. Um, you know, the, she has Mr. Wrench. She's already sort of interrogated him a little bit. You know, he is obviously going to jail. Um, so I think there's potential for her to continue that sort of thread um, and really wean out where Lester, in a large part, yeah. has not covered his tracks, right. which is probably everywhere. Um, so it's just a matter of time before she sort of connects the dots again. I mean, she already has that great blueprint. So it'll be interesting to see her in the next few episodes. Um, as a viewer, I really come around on Molly. I mean, she was sort of a, a goody two-shoes type character who I sort of despised mm-hmm. on a lot of levels <laughs> yeah. uh, before. But now, I mean, she's so selfless to see her, um, as we were talking about, after losing her spleen, being shot in the hospital, being wheeled off in a wheelchair she's still able to see, you know, the positive and, and, and think that way. So it's, it's, you know, nice to see a character like that sort of succeed and, and to be able to cheer her on now. Absolutely. Sarah, okay. any predictions? Um, I have more hopes. Okay. <laughs> sure your hopes and dreams, darling. Um, I want more Key and Peele. If we oh, absolutely. More of them. I think we all want okay, more Key good. and Peele. Um, and then I think, or well, I hope that we see... At least, if not in this next episode, because I know sometimes they like to, you know, give it an episode before they give us what we want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would like to see not, like, the actual carnage of what happened in that building, but why why that building, who was in yeah. there, like, what's up with that, I want to know. Um, like, burning questions in my mind about it. So... Um, I want that. Um, we saw a little bit in the preview that Lester is continuing his womanizing. Uh, he's gotten, he's taking that confidence to some other ladies, which I'm kind of interested in seeing. So, um, yeah, but that's pretty much it. I'm still sticking to my, to my prediction from, I think, the week before last that Molly's going to be kind of going into the dark side. You know, we saw her like, well, you know, she's gone, she's worked so hard on this case and she leaves the hospital, as you mentioned, saying we're winning this thing and she gets there and it's like the whole thing's wrapped up and she must, I can imagine this is going to push her over the edge. Do you think Lauren is going to like pull her to the dark side? I don't think Lauren is. I think her desire for justice and truth to be served when no one else seems to give a shit gonna make her do some is going to make her and it already has she's already you know violated Lied all kinds and, of protocol yeah. and gone into Lester's house when he wasn't there and stuck her hand in the washing machine she's done all kinds of things I just see that this is going to motivate her um, even farther and it must I imagine that Lester's behavior is going to really aggravate her because he's walking around like he's got a swinging dick yeah. and that is just going to make her absolutely crazy as, as it should. Yeah. So I'm sticking okay. with that. That's what cool. I really hope. Um, and let's tell all the fans at home where they can find us. JB, I'd like to start with you. Where can of they course. find you? You guys can find me at JB underscore Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. I also host uh, Riot on AfterBuzz TV, mm-hmm. Ending Sunday, Silicon Valley, and Marin on Thursdays. Please check out 
everything that Jamie does because he's yes. been so he's stellar awesome. on our Thank panel. You, you are invited you. back anytime. Yes. Totally. We might have to have five. I'd be happy. Yeah, we might back. have to have a five. <laughs> yeah. A five some. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And um, you, darling. I am at Sarah on the go, Sarah with an H on Twitter, and SarahBear627 on Instagram. And I'm Oriana Leo. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Oriana Leo, Instagram, Oriana Leo, my website, OrianaLeo.com. Thank you so much for spending another evening with us and wrapping up Fargo on FX. We'll be back next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.